But uh, really good to be with you this morning. Lovely to be back in sunny Ellen. It's great. Today, we're going to be back in our series on the King and His Cross. We've been jumping between a couple of series, the Invest series, and today we're back in the King and His Cross. And we're going to be in Mark 6, verse 45 to 56 today. And where we're uh, picking up in the story, this is following immediately after the moment when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So he's just fed the 5,000, and this is straight after that. So we're going to be in Mark 6, verse 45 to 56. Here we go. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Amen. Wow. Flipping heck. That is an incredible, incredible picture there of this Jesus sending the disciples out and then carrying them through this storm, and then landing on the shore, and then all of a sudden, it's just like revival breaks out. Healings are happening left, right, and center. What we're going to be doing today, as we're looking at this scripture, is we're going to ask ourselves the question, what does it look like when Jesus calls us, when we're sent out by him in the same way the disciples were in this passage? What does it look like when that call of God comes on our lives? So we're going to look at three things, classic preacher style. First thing is that it's a call of command. So I've been driving for about a year now. I really enjoy it. I realize I'm a little bit late to the game. You can see a few, a few grays here. Uh, when I was, you know, for most people, when they turn 17, it's like a kind of, a, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to take my driving lessons. And when I turned 17, it was a Let's not rush this. Let's wait, let's wait 10 years, and then I'm going to start getting into it. And so I did. I waited a decade, but here I am driving. Uh, but a year ago, or a couple years ago now, actually, Jim Purdy tells you how long it took me to pass my test. Now, anyway. Jim Purdy, who's one of our trustees at Guilt Park, he very kindly and very bravely offered to take me out and teach me how to drive, show me the ropes, and to give you an indication of how well I was doing after three weeks of driving their brand new family car, Jim suggested, maybe it'd be better if we hired a rental car. (laughs) Maybe one with dual controls would be a good idea. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a picture of my driving. But the first thing I remember really clearly was Jim spelling out to me, anything I tell you to do, you do it. 
no questions asked. If I ask you to turn, you turn. If I ask you to change into a different gear, you do it. If I say stop, and this one's important, you stop. And Jim had no idea how many times he was going to have to say stop over the coming weeks. But that is what the relationship was. He made it really clear to me that it's like I say it and you do it. There's no kind of like figuring out, what do you mean by that? What's going on here? It's like, no, the relationship is I tell you to do something. I give you an instruction and you follow it to the letter. And what we have here in our passage is a similar scenario with Jesus and the disciples where he sends them out. on the boat into the Sea of Galilee. Now, this isn't a suggestion from Jesus. This isn't an encouragement, something that the disciples can consider and maybe they should do it. It is a command. Verse 45 says that Jesus made the disciples get onto the boat. I don't know what that looks like in your head. I imagine him just kind of bustling 12 men like onto a boat and they're all kind of like comically falling over each other. But he made them get onto the boat. I'm sure for the vast majority of us, we probably don't like being told what to do. When someone comes and it's like a kind of command moment, that's not always the most comfortable. We're British. We don't like that. I remember when I was five or six, my mom asked me to do, it was like the smallest thing. I think it was like to wash a spoon that I'd just been using. And like for some reason, I flipped out and I saw this as like the biggest injustice in the world. I was not happy. And I did this thing where I walked off with a spoon and I sat down outside on the front porch and I was just muttering things like, can't believe she would make me do that. This is the worst day of my life. Stupid spoon, stupid mum, dude. Like getting really, really riled up, just like muttering all this stuff. And then I heard a David. She was just above me in the window. She'd heard everything I'd said. I was like, oh, this is horrible. But, you know, even, even as adults, we might not have those little hissy fit moments we have when we're kids, when we're asked to do something. Or maybe we do, I don't know. But <laughs> likely we don't. But the reality is we probably still don't like that being, you know, being told what to do kind of moment. We're probably not great at following commands. For the disciples, it might have seemed strange, you know, why is Jesus sending us out across the lake right now? You know, it's already quite late. You know, this doesn't look good. There could be storms coming. Why is he doing this? And why isn't he coming with us? Like, what's the deal? Jesus, what are you doing here? Often, obedience to God's call means that we don't have the full picture. There might be aspects of what God asks us to do that don't make complete sense to us. And what we find is that obedience and risk go hand in hand. When we're presented with risk, sometimes what we want to do is worm our way out of it and kind of rationalize, oh, is this really what God's asking me to do? We can do that sometimes. Rationalize that can't be him. That can't be his voice. God is calling us to obey his commands, whatever that looks like. Um, Some of you may know Don Thomas. He goes to the Inverary site. He's one of our Leadership Academy students this year. Uh, He's a quality guy. And he told this great story uh, to our staff team the other week. He uh, was at a Premier Inn down south. Uh, I think he was at a wedding or something. And he got up in the morning and he went to have breakfast at Premier Inn. Nabad, if you've ever done that before. It's great. Uh, All you can eat. And so he gets the breakfast and he's greeted by a staff member. He says, hi, like sits down with his meal. And as he's sitting there, he feels God just whispering to him, I want you to say something to that guy. I want you to tell him that he's entering into a new season. And Don was just kind of sitting there like, oh, 
really? You know, that kind of moment of like, are you really asking me to do this now, Lord? And, uh, you know, lots of reasons why he shouldn't have done it. You know, the guy's, the guy's obviously very busy. You know, I don't want to disturb him. All these kind of reasons go in his head. And he's kind of shrugging it off. Don gets up to leave. And they just has a moment of being like, no, I need to do this. I need to say that to this guy. And so he goes up to him and he says, look, hey, how you doing? My name's Don. I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe that God speaks to us. And I just believe that maybe he's got something that he wants to, to share with you. And he just said, I just believe that God is saying that you're going to come into a new season right now. And the guy's face just went white. And he was like, oh, how do you know me? Is what he said. Like, he was like, what, what do you know? Are you stalking me? Like, what's going on? Like, honestly, this guy was like a little bit freaked out. And Don was like, no, no, no. Like, what's going on? The guy told his story. Basically, he, you know, he went to church years ago. Um, he started going out with this girl and kind of, kind of fell away from, from the Lord. And just for years and years, they were going out until eventually they decided, uh, he was, this guy decided he was going to move cities to be with this girl. They were going to move in together. He packed up his whole life, moved to a new place. And just a couple of weeks before she just dumped him. And he was in this totally new city, really lonely, didn't know anyone, didn't know what he was doing. He just felt like my life's just kind of fallen apart. And the night before he'd prayed to God and he said, God, if you're real, if you're there, I want you to speak to me. And then Don comes along and just says that to him. And he was just like, what? And honestly, like, and, and Don was just like chatting to him. And he kept going, but you don't know me, do you? You've not, like, you've not been looking into me at all. It's amazing. And so he set him up with like a, like a local church to go to and said, oh, you should try Alpha and all this kind of stuff. But isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? When it comes to obedience, we can't always see the full story, can we? Often we just see the risk that's involved. But when we do it, when we follow through with it, man, God uses it, doesn't he? Often we can see the things that Jesus is calling us to do as optional. You know, I'll do it if I feel like it or I'm not really comfortable doing that right now. Or conditional. You know, well, I'm quite a new Christian and I want to wait until I've figured things out a bit more. Or, you know, I'm young, I'm still in school, I need to wait until I'm a bit older and I've got a job. And you think, well, I'm a bit older and I've got a job and I've got kids to look at. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's all these conditions that we can put in place and be like, God, oh, it's not the right time, Lord. Not right now. But instead of all that, just simply saying to Jesus, yes, here I am. Send me, I'll do it. There's a verse I came across a, a few months ago in Acts 13 that I absolutely love. It's God, and he's talking about King David from the Old Testament. And here's what he has to say about him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I just love that. I love the simplicity of that. that you, can, you can almost see that relationship between God and David summed up just He'll do everything I ask him to do. There's such a beautiful simplicity when we just choose to lay down our swords, our resistance against God's will, and say, Jesus, you're king. You're Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say. I don't need to like it. I don't need to understand it fully. But I'll do it, Lord. That's the posture that we're called to have before God. And so that, that includes, you know, the broad 
call that God places on every single one of our lives. You know, the, the great commission, go out and make disciples of all nations. We're all called to that. You know, that also includes, you know, the, the seasonal stuff, whether God's calling you to, to be in amongst a certain people group or place for a period of time. And that also includes the little whispers. Go and speak to that guy. Tell him that there's a new season ahead. Go and pray for that girl over there. All of that stuff, bringing it to God and being like, God, you can have it. You can have my obedience. I'll obey your command in all of this stuff. There's a sweetness and a joy about not resisting God's will and not questioning it because we miss out on so much when we do that. What does it mean to obey the call of Jesus in our lives? What does following that command mean when it's played out for us? Just when I was praying about this, I, I felt like I had a picture of, um, well, I mean, we've got Jesus here standing at the shore and sending that boat out with the disciples and them obeying that call. And it was just this picture of not one boat, but actually there just been hundreds of boats and Jesus just being like, go, and them just scattering and just kind of going off in all different directions. God is calling us all to different places to tell people about who he is. I don't know what that looks like for you in your workplace in your school, in your, your young mums and tots group, or, you know, when you're walking your dog, like, I, I don't know. There'll be specific things that God is saying, I've called you to this place, to these people. Or maybe God is laying on your heart the 21 by 21 thing. Maybe there's something that stirs up when you hear about that, or you think, oh no, <laughs> your heart just starts beating. Maybe it's more like that. I don't know. But it's up, it's, we have a We're asked to obey. We're asked to discern what is it God that's calling, calling us to do and to follow that, whether that's planting a church or talking to your neighbor about who Jesus is. Where is he commanding you to go? So that's the first thing. Secondly, it's a call of dependency. Uh, my wee boy Judah is with us today, and he's asleep, so I'll thank you not to make any noise. We'll just we'll keep it down. But he's with us. He is uh, it's coming up for six months now, which is crazy. Uh, we're loving being parents. Um, it's been really amazing just seeing the way that he grows and develops uh, and just how different he is. It's like every day he learns a new trick. I know he's not like a dog, but like it's, it's that kind of thing of like he can just do something all of a sudden where like he can now reach something that he couldn't before. You know, he's got like a really strong grip or he can support his head or like he's learned a new sound, which can be very irritating because he just repeats that all day. Um, he's also learning at the minute how to roll over which does make him sound a bit like a dog. But, like, you know, these are the things that he's putting together. He's learned so much. He's changed so much. And yet the thing that struck us is when he was first, when he was first born, and that is still the case, is that he is so, so vulnerable. You know? And this is like a really deep revelation moment now that I, I learned about babies that they need looking after. I'm like, oh, really? I've, I've got some stuff I need to do here. But, you know, that moment of coming back from the hospital and just holding this baby and being like, this baby is totally dependent on me. Ah, and the weight of, no, I'm, I'm, making, I'm painting a really negative picture of fatherhood here. Like, it's great. But that is a real moment of being like, he needs me. He needs us as his parents to take care of him. He's totally dependent on us. When we look at what happens to the disciples soon after Jesus has commanded them to go, they're not in a good way. After sending them on a journey that was maybe about six miles and would normally take them a few hours to do, 
things aren't looking great. Jesus looks out from the shore, and at this point, they've been rowing since the previous evening until the early hours of the morning. Knackered. Verse verse 48, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. This is a picture of the disciples stuck in one place, barely able to move forward, just inches at a time. And there's a parallel between that image, between God calling them and them obeying and then kind of getting stuck. And when that can happen to us as well, because this picture of the disciples, they're missing a key ingredient in their journey. There's something that isn't there. They've stepped out in obedience. They've followed the command of God, but they're missing Jesus. They need him. If they're going to go where he sends them, they absolutely can't do it alone. They are completely dependent on him. And this is highlighted by what Jesus does next, that he's the one that they need because they're like not able to like kind of move at all. And then he just like swans along walking on the water. In that moment, you just be like, what? And they were. They were completely like, what is going on here? Jesus highlights that I'm the one you need. The things that hold us back in life, life, the, the forces that oppose us, and want to stop the advance of the kingdom of God. What a beautiful picture that Jesus can just walk over that stuff. That stuff that would hold us back. He just strolls over it. How good is that? Nothing holds him back. And we're nothing without him. Even if we're following the call of God that he's put on our hearts, and we're so gifted at what we're doing, you know, we're just like the best of the best. What is it, is it 10,000 hours doing something and you become a master is that, or something like that? Like, in that boat, there would have been a couple of masters there, right? These, are, these disciples were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. They were experts. They lived by this lake. They knew what was going on, and yet they couldn't make any progress without Jesus. They couldn't move forward. Do you know what some of the most freeing words are that Jesus says to us? And he says lots of freeing things, but here's one of them. He says to us, you can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me. And that's not a moment where he's like, you, you can't do anything. He's like shaking his fist at us. It's not that. He's not disappointed. But that's a moment where we hear those words that we can't do anything without Jesus. And what needs to happen is just weight and burden that we've been carrying that we don't need to just falls off because we're like, oh, of course. Of course I can't do this stuff without Jesus. That's so good. The reality is that for all of us, we're like Judah, baby Judah. We're like babies that need God to go with us and to help us because without him, it's going to fail. How kind of God He gives us the call. He commands us where to go. And he says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go with you. Depend on me. Lean into me. Press into me. It's a great place to be in. We can think we've got it all sorted. And we can think that we can do things ourselves in our own strength. And that's when we get to the kind of disciples straining against the wind kind of moment where we're not moving forward. We need Jesus. Often there's perseverance in what he asks us to do, that we are called to push through things when he calls us. Like, of course that is true, but we're not supposed to do that solo. We need him. 
there's something, there's something quite nice in this passage, actually. There's, there's, there's a nice little moment because it's very similar, if you remember, to another uh, moment earlier where Jesus calms the storm. You remember that moment where Jesus is asleep in the boat? I, I, yeah, I don't know how, but Jesus is asleep in the boat. There's a storm's going on, and the disciples are like, wake up, we're going to drown. And he stands up, and he says, be still. And it's just like, the storm disappears. And there's, a sim- there's similarities between those two stories. Um, but here what happens is he doesn't speak to the storm. He comes and he speaks to the disciples. He calms their fear. He climbs into the boat and the wind and the waves stop. He doesn't need to tell it to stop. He doesn't need to do anything. His presence is enough. How good is that? How good is that? When we're in the boats of, of obedience and we're kind of facing the storms of life and things are tough when things are on top of us, what do we need to do? Invite Jesus in. Invite him into the boat. Sit in his presence. When the enemy is having a go at us, Jesus can change that situation. Uh, just a really quick story. I remember when I was a student, um, at, uh, we had a, a sandwich of student ministry at, at City Church in the downstairs hall at Guilt Park, and we were just worshiping, and it was, it was lovely. It was a nice time of worship. Uh, nothing special. It was fine. It was, it was a good time of worship. Um, and uh, there was a girl just a few places in front of me. And as we were worshiping, hands in the air and stuff, she just kind of went, ah, like that. And I was like, that's a little bit weird. And she just had this little little shriek. And people went up to her and like, are you okay? And she was like, I've just been healed. And we're like, what? She was like, I've been deaf in this ear for like as long as I can remember. And just as we were worshiping, God just healed it. And we were like, cool, that's really good, like, but you know what was so good about that, no one prayed for her, no one said, like, I I feel like I have a word from God, someone here has got, you know, none of that stuff happened, it was just worshiping Jesus, just being in his presence, and something shifted, there is power in his presence, why would we choose to go alone, why would we choose not to have his presence with us? No matter what we're facing, Jesus is bigger and he has the authority. And we need to learn that. We, know, we need to know in our spirits that God isn't window dressing. He's not just a nice thing that we tag on. He's vital. And I wonder whether Jesus was kind of sending the disciples out into the storm to highlight this stuff. Which might seem a little bit of a harsh lesson. But actually it's a real, it's a real kindness for them to understand We can't do this alone. We need him. You know, they didn't get it when they saw the, it says in what we've just read, that they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes. They didn't really get that that Jesus, you know, was just in charge of everything, could do anything. And so it's like he's highlighting to them, no, it's me that you need. If we're to follow the command of Jesus, if we're to climb into this boat of obedience and set out in whatever direction God points us in, We need to know that we need him. Otherwise, it's doomed to fail. So let's ask ourselves, if we're following the call of God, if we want to go where he's commanding us to go out into the world, if we're doing that, are we relying on him? Are we leaning on him fully? We can't do anything without him. We need to hear his voice in the storm. We need his presence to overrule the things that threaten to overwhelm us. So the call of Jesus placed... The call Jesus placed on our lives is one of command, it's one of dependency, 
And lastly, it's one of revelation. I don't know if you have any stories about meeting famous people. Um, I'd love to hear them, but now's not the time. But uh, maybe after. Uh, I have a couple of of minor ones, and and I use the word minor very deliberately. Like, I once met, do you remember Howard from the Halifax adverts? Extra, that guy. (laughs) I was 13, it was a pretty big moment. I was like, Howard, how's it going? Um, Very, very minor celebrities. But I I used to work in, in Union Square, and there was an afternoon where Peter Andre was coming to visit wildly exciting stuff, I know. Uh, the die-hard fans, of which apparently there are a lot, I hadn't realized, were very excited. They were there at, I think, 7 a.m., like just before it, the Union Square had even opened up, and they were all queuing to see Peter. Uh, <laughs> this huge, you know, and, and they were there from 7 in the morning, some of them, until like early afternoon, which is just crazy. And so when he came, he had this, this tent set up inside Union Square, and there was this huge queue that was like snaking all over the place, tons and tons of people. And uh, basically, people would queue for hours to get like 30 seconds with him. He would just kind of like go, and it'd be like really quick. He'd sign an autograph or whatever, and then that would be it. And then every 20 minutes or so, like a little hand would emerge from the tent and just wave to everyone, and everyone would go, ah! like that so I was at work and I would just hear like periodically ah, and the I was like oh Peter and then occasionally he would p- stick out his head and go hello and then everyone would go ah I'd go even crazier like that everyone would go absolutely nuts for it now if I'm being honest I don't really get it I am not a Peter Andre fan I don't really know him I don't know what he gets up to uh, I don't really get why anyone why anyone would want to waste their Saturday standing in a queue if there are Peter Andre fans in the room I sincerely apologize I'm sure he's brilliant I'm sure he's a lovely chap but, you know, standing in a queue for hours to get 30 seconds with this guy, even though I don't get it, even though I don't understand it, I can see that because his fans were willing to do that, they see it as something worthwhile. You know, they recognize something, something in Peter Andre that elevates him above other people, I guess. Here in our passage, what is the link from Peter Andre? To, we're going we're gonna to get there. Here in our passage, as soon as the boat reaches the shore and everyone climbs out, the people see Jesus and the response is incredible. Mark describes this frenzy of activity that follows. The people that saw him run throughout the region telling everyone, you know, he's here and they're carrying sick people on mats. Um, it's just all kicking off. But you know what? There's three words in that section that I've never really honed in on before, but really jumped out to me. There's three words. It says this, people recognized Jesus. There's something unmissable about this man that when you recognize it, when you see it, you drop everything and you go to meet him. You need to bring the sick, you need to bring the brokenhearted, you need to bring the lost, and you need to watch as he gives them hope. You know the the first line in the song, Good, Good Father? I've heard so many stories of what they think you're like. There are so many misconceptions as to who Jesus is. But when we see him as he is, when we recognize him for who he is, everything changes. We had a, a, a lifestyle, um, our, our gateway service that meets on a Monday at Guilt Park. We had a guy come and he went out for prayer at the end of the service. He was, um, he was just really on edge, really um, like anxious. 
But there was something in the talk that he'd heard that night about um, having a new start with God that just really hit home for him, and he wanted prayer. And we were just chatting away from, to him. He didn't know God, but he said, I want a new start for myself. You know, he'd been suffering for years from really significant depression and anxiety. And he just went on to list all of this stuff that was going on in his life. And it was just like really heavy. And it was just one of those moments where as w- w- the guys there praying for him were just like, well, we have no idea what to do here. Like, what, what can we do except let's pray, let's ask Jesus into this situation. And so as we prayed, we asked the Holy Spirit to come. And it was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in my life. We just saw, like, the Holy Spirit move, like, almost immediately. Um, he just started to, to just gently kind of shake like this and, and just kind of moving about. And it was clear from his expression that this was something new. This was something he'd never experienced before. And God was working in a significant way. And we prayed like this for about five minutes. And when we'd finished, his demeanor was completely different. He, he was completely at ease. He just had this joy on his face. He's been completely blown away by what happens. And he said, I felt a power that I've never felt before. And we just kind of said, well, that's Jesus. He, he wants to meet with you. He'd never been along before, didn't know anything about God, never been along to that meeting, but he just bounced out of the door. And there's, there's something in that because he'd, he'd met the real Jesus for the first time. He'd had that moment of recognition of being like, oh, this is the thing that I need. The, the, whole, the whole point of Jesus sending his disciples out, telling them to go, and in the same way that he sends us, is that we're sent to help people recognize who Jesus is. I think you can boil down like most of what God asks us to do to that. The end goal being that someone is going to recognize Jesus for who he is and be transformed by him. What's really nice is the disciples aren't really mentioned in this, this last section. Once the boat reaches the shore, they just kind of fade into the background because it's like Jesus is here. And it's like that for us as well. When we're obedient to the call of Jesus on our lives, when we rely fully on him to make it happen, the result is that people are introduced to him. They're able to recognize him for who he is. I, I'm, I do the youth stuff at City and Call Encounter, and the most exciting moments for me is where young people just have that kind of, oh, kind of moment where they just, they just, see, they just see Jesus. They just recognize him, and they see the scale of his love for them. And it's like in that moment, it's just like the defense has come down. And there's just total surrender to him. And you don't even need to do anything. You just step back and you're like, hang out with Jesus. So sweet. That picture of the disciples rowing the boat, carrying Jesus and bringing him to the people on the other side so they can recognize him. I think that's, that's a picture for us of how Jesus wants us to be. Jesus does the rest when we bring him to people. So we're called to do everything that we can to help people recognize Jesus for who he is. Ultimately, our obedience to God and whatever he's asking us to do, that's going to lead people to him. And so I guess just, just as we're finishing, a question maybe for us to think about, are there specific people? Are there names and faces that Jesus is calling us to go to, to bring him to, to say, like to help recognize him? Who are those people? Where is God calling us to go? So that's the call of God, that we're to follow 
It's one of commands that he's given to us. It requires complete dependence on God. And the result is that he reveals himself to those who don't know him. Why don't we stand?